You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another off-day debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, for the oddcast, Brandon Lee Gowton from Bleeding Green Nation. BLG, how you feeling? Stats, how can I not be thrilled that football is back after we just got to see one of the weirdest... This is the oddcast, Stats, as you know, as you just said. And we're all about everything that's weird here. That Monday night football game between the Ravens and the Raiders was so weird at the end. I'm excited to talk about it all. I Before we get into it, Stats, I have to say, uh, I feel like it's only appropriate that I point out that the NFL is like art. That was my big takeaway from last night. I'm watching this. This is like, this is art. This is like supposed to make you feel something. Uh, it's this crazy <laughs> sequence. It's like a painting that you're looking at. You don't know what's going on. You're trying to interpret it. So I love it. I love being here with you and a special guest because maybe it wasn't so fun for them. Yes. Uh, the Obviously, Ravens fans are not super thrilled with how it turned out, but you're right. Like this doesn't happen in other sports. There's no nothing in basketball where a guy could come within an inch of scoring the game-winning points and then have to redo the play, but he's an inch away from scoring the game-winning points again. Then they get a penalty, have to back up, ball goes through somebody's hands, bounces off a helmet. Like It, it was a ridiculous sequence. If that happened in a movie, people would walk out of the theater. We're going to break it all down. Uh, before we get into it, I want to remind everybody, please subscribe to the SP Nation NFL show if you haven't done so already. Drop us a five-star rating and a review. It takes a second for you, but it really does make a big difference for us. And we are excited because we are going to have a special guest today. That is Kyle Barber, writer for the Baltimore Ravens and the managing editor for Baltimore Beatdown here at SB Nation. Not going to lie, I booked Kyle thinking like, hey, we'll have him on. The Ravens will win. Everybody accuses us of being the anti-Lamar Jackson show, so we'll bring on Kyle and we can throw some bouquets at Lamar and it'll be great. Well, the Ravens and the Raiders didn't exactly cooperate, but we're still happy to have you, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning, Stats. Good morning, BLG. As always, thrilled to be here with the two of you. So, okay, just take me through the emotions of how that game finished up because the Raiders score what everybody thought was the game-winning touchdown. People are on the field. They're shaking hands like this thing was over. Then all of a sudden they pull everybody back on the field and the Raiders start to give it away. Just, just take us through your emotions here at the end of that game. I'm watching this madness unfold after oh, – after, you know, back and forth field goals, back and forth scores, and just uh, a, a gassed Ravens defense. And watching the Raiders score once, and, uh, you know, I'm a I'm a Canes fan, and watching, like, them have to clear the field after they had already <laughs> won and done the fourth down stop, uh, and then have to replay it, I was like, man... I don't really want to go through the sequence of heartbreak a second time. Like they're within a foot, but truly I think every, every person that uh, is on the receiving end of this is like, but maybe there's a chance, <laughs> just maybe there's a chance. And I even posted it on Baltimore Beatdowns Twitter. I was like a miracle would be pretty cool right about now. And all of a sudden they get the, <laughs> the false start and you're like, don't, don't do this. Don't give me hope. Don't do this. And, and Anthony Avery gets his first interception, his first career interception. And he was talking about it all week with, with uh Baltimoreavens.com's uh, Ryan Mink and Garrett down. Like it, it was all building up to exactly this. 
And tragically, it just doesn't still end up that way. And the Ravens lost twice somehow on Monday night. <laughs> well, Kyle, the Ravens did lose, but you had Lamar Jackson in your winner section on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. I checked that out uh, to see your take on the game before you came on the show here. Here it comes. Uh, well, I mean, look, this is the big bugaboo. We have to get into it. Uh, so please, please explain why that you had Lamar in the winner section after he had two very bad costly fumbles that really cost the Ravens the game. And if not Lamar, what was the biggest reason the Ravens lost that game? Okay, we're going to have to address multiple takes here, BLG. <laughs> so happy to be back on here with you guys. But uh, in reality, I did clarify on that uh, take just where I put Lamar and why. Um, on there, I did put, it's tough to place Lamar Jackson on either side. He was bullied in the backfield all game long by Raiders defensive end Max Crosby, among others. He made brilliant throws, dazzling plays, and kept them in it consistently but did lose two fumbles, which were critical in the loss tonight. Lamar is also the only reason this game was ever close. Lamar uh, made an incredible Herculean play where he sprinted around in the backfield, scrambling and bending the fabric of reality before throwing a 10-yard touchdown pass <laughs> to Marquise Brown. He was pressured on 52% of his dropbacks and overall was the reason for their offensive success. It felt like uh, in the end, it wasn't enough. His 49 yard pass to Sammy Watkins, which he had a, you know, it was a drop in the bucket. It was, it was one of the best passes. I think uh, Jackson's ever thrown and also one of the best throws of the week. You know, that's a yeet of the week. Uh, I know that's a Monday, oh, no. football Monday thing, but like that was a yeet of the week, you know, that we need to talk about, but Overall, I think Lamar Jackson deserves the credit for what he did do. And yes, he absolutely deserves blame for losing two fumbles. And he tweeted about afterwards saying that uh, he can't be doing stuff like that. He is such an incredible player, Kyle. When he looks good, he looks unbeatable. But when he looks bad, he looks hideously bad. Like you can't have this guy as your starting quarterback bad. What does that do to you as a fan of this team? You know, overall, uh, I think we see a lot more of the positives just from a play-to-play -play basis than than uh, sometimes we see in the national spotlight because the Ravens have had the fortune of a lot of primetime affairs since Jackson became the Ravens' starting quarterback and the offense has started scoring a lot of points. It's been a lot more fun that way anyways. Uh, but it, it can it be frustrating? Yeah, of course. But this is a kid that has suddenly struck the hearts of of Baltimore honestly watching what he's done on the field and the amount of positive plays he's done and like you said the amount of unbeatable plays that he's performed the plays that truly nobody else could make in, in the NFL due to his speed agility and uh just his his ability uh, you know, like he's done things that Russell Wilson was always glorified for, for escaping the pocket and then hurling downfield. He's made throws that, you know, that require the arm strength of somebody like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is, you know, the best quarterback and possibly the best football player in the world right now. Lamar Jackson is equally that just in a different uh style he has a unique style that i don't think mahomes can replicate in the same way that jackson can't replicate what mahomes is and that's fine and it makes it exciting but it also does make it challenging yeah because when things look bad and lamar suddenly is you know so overwhelmed with pressure that he's not going through his reads or he doesn't even have time to go through his reads it, it can be frustrating but I, I i mean i'm always gonna side with with Lamar Jackson just because of what he's done over the last few years and leading this team to be one of the top scoring teams in the NFL. Uh, why don't we flip it over to the defense, Kyle? And how are you feeling uh, about that performance? I mean, you know, Marcus Peters goes down. There's some concerns here. I thought the Raiders moved the ball better than I expected them to. I didn't think the Ra uh, Raiders were going to look as good on offense as they did, especially against, you know, a Baltimore defense that can be pretty tough. Uh, what's the feeling there? There's a big concern, I think, after watching just how little the the four-man rush didn't get to uh, Derek Carr. 
you send, you know, Pernell McPhee, Justin Houston, rookie Adafe Owe, and, uh, you know, a, a, a litany of different guys. Like Calais Campbell's also a part of this team. And you just can't seem to get home on a four-man rush. And I think what made it all the more striking was watching Max Crosby, Carl Nassib, and Yannick Ngakwe feast when they were on the office, you know, when they were on the field made it really challenging to, uh, to compare without being without the hot take, without the knee jerk reactions that we get. Cause you're watching Jackson run for his life on 50% of his dropbacks and you're watching Carr on the other side, put up a lawn chair and, and look around and try and, you know, go through his full progressions. There's most certainly concern regarding that. And especially with uh, just the overall lack of, of performance in the second half, you know, the Ravens were holding, I believe the Raiders to about 3.3 yards per play. It was something, it was something low and all of a sudden it changes up and there's 500 yards of offense by the game's end. And you see Derek Carr do what he did against the, the chief. I, I bring up the chiefs a lot because you know, they're the, the boogeyman of the Ravens and you watch him, you know, all of a sudden go into aggressive Derek Carr mode and he's throwing it downfield and he's hitting all these guys, whether it's Waller rugs or, or uh, Brian Edwards all of a sudden, uh, you know, once he starts playing an aggressive style of football, you see him just absolutely looking outstanding. And uh, the defense looks worrisome. Uh, Long story short, defense looks worrisome. So you mentioned the Chiefs, Kyle. Mm -hmm. And uh, my question for you was about, like, what's your level of concern? Because those Chiefs are coming up next, as you know, uh, in Baltimore. I mean... Ravens are staring 0 2 in the face. And look, I maybe you're, you're going to think I'm crazy. I'm sure you will. I'm sure a lot of Ravens fans will. I said the stats before last night's game. If the Ravens don't win this game, I'm ready to stick a fork in their season because I think they should have beaten. Like, I think they, if they're going to be good, if they're going to be a real team, and by stick a fork in their season, I don't mean that like they're going to be the worst team in the NFL. But I mean, like, to me, if this is going to be the Ravens season, that's going to be like the breakthrough season. They're finally going to make it to the AFC championship game with Lamar. This is going to be the year. Like, I'm just not getting that vibe right now from a season that starts out with Lamar fumbling the game away twice. And then the injuries piling up, the defense not looking up to snuff, a potential 0-2 start. I know the schedule softens up a little bit after that. but like, And then also the AFC North. Uh, elsewhere looking competitive. So like, so what's the feeling? What's the confidence level? What's the level of concern going into this matchup against KC? I think you quickly hit the panic button for the reasons described. Uh, you know, this was uh, the joke posted afterwards on Baltimore Beat Down, but it's good thing the Ravens bounce back game is check schedule against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's all good. That's just who they play next. Yeah, this is a really worrisome time the Ravens are like you said staring down the barrel of 0-2 the Chiefs gotta watch that film and go well how did Darren Waller get 100 yards and a touchdown and how can we get Travis Kelsey to do even more of that Uh, that's already a a huge panic mode situation here Uh, and overall if Derek Carr is throwing for you know nearly uh I believe just over 300 yards 340 yards something like that uh you know Patrick Mahomes is is grinning from ear to ear thinking he's gonna go for 500 600 700 you know these are the knee-jerk reactions you get just seeing how bad uh your team spirals from these aspirations of a championship to losing in gut check time against an opponent. Many had you walking past and walking over and looking like you were going to do so being up 14 and 0. a stat. That's uh, pretty unique here is the Ravens were 98 and O in winning games that at one point they held a 14 point lead. They were 81 and 0 in the John Harbaugh era of once they took a 14 point lead, they had not, relinquished it and lost and this was a game that Lamar you know made his dazzling play uh running around in the pocket before throwing a touchdown that put them up 14-0 and it felt like hey here we go Ravens capped off this game already it's early but it's incredibly early but 
there's cause to understand why the Ravens have been so good at, at winning once they have this lead. They have a stellar defense. They have a running game that really just grinds out the rest of the, you know, the time of possession and stuff. And none of that came to be. And all of a sudden they are in a terrifying division where the Steelers just mollywopped the Bills. You have the Bengals who, you know, managed to win their overtime against the Minnesota Vikings and the Cleveland Browns went toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes for about three quarters before a little bit of, uh, you know, Mahomes magic and cowardice, some would say, from the Browns uh, allowed them to uh, come back and and barely lose to uh, Casey. So this is a really concerning time, I think. Uh, but also the Ravens coaching staff, you know, just, just to salvage some pride here, I think is, is why I'm going, but also it's that the Ravens have not been a failure of a franchise and they also know how to respond and react to situations like this. And, uh, I expect still a good season, but it's really concerning when everybody's talking Super Bowl aspirations and you're Oh, and one and last in the division. Welcome to the overreactions of the NFL season. Good thing we only have 17 more weeks ago. Uh, Kyle Barber, again, writer for the Baltimore Ravens, managing editor of Baltimore Beatdown. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm sorry about the game last night, but I'm sure there'll be other wins, and we're happy to have you back after maybe some happier times. Well, thank you very much, Stats and BLG, for having me. I love listening to you guys. And uh, real quick, for the listeners make sure to subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. <laughs> Just click subscribe, give a rating, mock stats, mock BLG, mock me. That's all you got to do. Just leave a review, put it for five stars, and then talk a bunch of smack. I'm <laughs> sure they're going to read it. I'm sure they're going to read it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it, gentlemen. So that's the Ravens side of this BLG. Um, I want to give a little credit to the Raiders and Derek Carr. Like, Derek Carr can sling it, man. His problems are all from the neck up. He needs to just be more aggressive and have more of a killer instinct. But in terms of physically throwing the ball, he's he's up there with, with the best guys in the league. I liked what I saw from him last night. You know, he could have folded and gone into a shell after that interception. He saw that the Ravens were loading the box at the end of the game, and he took a shot and he went deep, and the Raiders get the win. I, I was impressed with Derek Carr. I mean, we'll have to have some Raiders fans on here from Silver and Black Pride uh, stats. But, like, I kind of – I was looking at Derek Carr during the game, and, you know, I see that gold star uh, or the gold captain's, you know, patch on his – and, like, just thinking about how long he's been there and, like, his tenure. And I'm like, how do Raiders fans really feel about Derek Carr? Because, like, he's not bad. Like, he's not a bad quarterback. Like, right. he belongs as the starter. You're not going to replace him. But, like, he's not going to get you anywhere, though. So, it's just, like, it's such a weird spot to be in. It's not – as I've said, it's probably arguably the worst spot to be in, some could say, but on in the long term. But like in a game like that, which was a really big game because it was the Raiders' first game with a full uh, stadium of fans. And I want to give the fans a lot of credit. They brought it. Uh, it was fun to see a lot of energy at Allegiant Stadium in, in that Las Vegas debut for a full crowd. Um, and honestly, like there's just a lot of cool things about the Raiders' stats. I, I admire the Raiders aesthetic, like the black and silver. It's cool. Um, it's intimidating. The fans, you know, dressed up and all this crazy stuff. It's just like, and they're, they're passionate. Um, I've always felt like a kinship to Raiders fans being from Philly. Like there's, there's like a similar energy. It's, it's different because it's out in the West coast. It's like a different, it's not the same thing, but there's like a, a similarity there that I just, I feel like is relatable. Um, but yeah, so uh, Raiders, I think, again, I was surprised they won this game stats. I thought this is a game, as I guess I said to you and Kyle, I was like, stick a fork in the Ravens if they don't beat the Raiders because they should beat the Raiders. The Raiders aren't that great. And I still don't think the Raiders are amazing and are going places all of a sudden. This is a quality win for them. I want to give a shout-out to Max Crosby. As Kyle mentioned, was a beast. A big reason why they were able to bottle up Lamar Jackson a lot. So that was really uh, crucial there. And look, that Ravens defense isn't like amazing. But you bring in Gus Bradley, that brings a little bit more credibility than I think they had last year. And obviously the offense was clicking. Um, so kudos to the Raiders. 
congrats to the Raiders. I, I agree. Like, there's a vibe there with them. I think the NFL is better when the Raiders are good. They have the coolest stadium in the NFL, and it's not even really close. Like, uh, that stadium is unbelievable. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and I'm glad to see them get a nice win. Derek Carr's personality kind of rubs me the wrong way because it comes off as very fake to me. But <laughs> good for the Raiders. Congratulations. Did you catch any of the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning broadcasts? It was like a simulcast last night on Monday Night Football. So I kind of forgot it was on. Like, I knew it was on because I saw people talking about it on Twitter. But just like from the normal football watching experience, you know, what do you usually do? You turn on ESPN and you watch the game. Like, it's just like ingrained in you to do that. So I was doing that for a while. I was like, wait, what am I doing? Like, why am I not checking out the other thing to at least see what's going on there? And I thought it was kind of a little rough around the edges, which is, I feel like, to be expected. These aren't professional broadcasters. It's not the typical uh, experience you're used to listening to when you're watching a football game with a, you know, a uh, the setup guy, the play-by-play, and then the, the color analyst. It's not that typical format. Um, and I think it's something that can kind of get better over time as those guys kind of get more comfortable because they're, they're figuring this out in the go. It's their first time. I think they deserve some benefit of the doubt in that regard. One of my favorite parts of the show stats, as you will not be surprised by, or feel like anyone who knows me will not be surprised by, was Russell Wilson joined the broadcast. And man, I would like to listen to him talk about games a little bit more because like I thought he sounded pretty good. I feel like he has a future in career in broadcasting and honestly it was like some of the most personality we've ever seen from like russ who is mostly just a robot like again most (laughs) of the time so i thought that was really cool to see and then just honestly the dynamic of having a current player like a current player not a former player current player playing in the league commenting on other teams like that was interesting to me like it's that's not something we see all the time and russell wilson was like kind of talking about some interesting things he was talking about like hey do you think like uh the ravens should score right away here or do you think they should wait like i feel like you don't see players ever like talk about something like that you might see again broadcasters or something but not an active player an active player you would think would be like no we got to score no matter what blah 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 so and then he russell wilson brought up like an overtime proposal at one point that got cut off because of the broadcast was going to uh <laughs> to break so it was just kind of interesting to me i i feel like you didn't like it as much well, I, as soon as Russell Wilson came on, of course, I immediately turned it off because I can't tolerate <laughs> Russell Wilson in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, it was a little rough around the edges. I get the appeal and why people like it. I, what I found was, and I didn't realize this because I turned it on like you, like, oh, I got to check this out. I really like the traditional, like, broadcast. Like, give me the information. Give me the little stats and nuggets. Like, I, I realize I don't want to just see a random conversation between Peyton Manning and Eli Manning during a game. I want the actual play-by-play. I, I'm a traditionalist that way, but I get why people would like it for sure. Um, did you hear the story that Peyton Manning told about Jim Harbaugh? No. Quick story. I watched film with the 49ers. I threw for the 49ers. We're down at Duke at the Cutcliffe House. Me, John Harbaugh's brother, Jim, and Greg Roman were leaving. Mrs. Cutcliffe is like, would y'all like something to eat? She really didn't want us. Yeah, just be nice. She was just trying to be nice, right? I'm like, no thanks. Greg Roman's like, no thanks. Coach Cutcliffe's like, no thanks. Jim Harbaugh's like, yeah, I'll have a PB&J. I think a PB&J. Of course, a little PB&J. She's like, "Uh, I haven't made one of those since my kids were eight. I'm not sure. Yeah, but if you're offered, I'll take a PB&J. So Jim Harbaugh got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and nobody else got anything. I think peanut butter and jelly is very overrated. It's an overrated combination. Growing up, I had peanut butter and butter sandwiches that my mom made me. me Shout out to my mom who's listening to this. How, what? How is this real? Everyone thinks peanut I'm like a psycho butter. when I bring that no, up. No, 100%. It's absolutely. It's such a good combination. Like I, I've brought that up, and people are like, "Oh, that's gross." Or what are you talking about? It's like it's such a natural combination of something that is like the peanut butter. That first of all, I only do creamy. I feel like have you? We talked about this before. You're like, okay, you're so you're a creamy guy too. Never crunchy. Um, you do the creamy, and you have that. You know, it's peanut butter, so it's sticky. Blah blah blah. You get the butter; it's smooth. Like it cuts through some of that peanut butter. It kind of sounds funny to say peanut butter and butter. Like it's a weird thing to say. It sounds like redundant, but uh, it's great. So anyway, there you go. I absolutely had those when I was a kid also. All right, let's take a break. We still got to do our 100% accurate power rankings and a new feature that we're going to do on the show. I'm going to have you explain. We're going to give out least valuable player points and most valuable player points. I'm not quite sure I understand it still, but we're going to do it anyway when we come back. <laughs> 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back here on the off day debrief BLG. All right. We have the week two power rankings. We've had games now. This is not speculative. And as we always tell you, these are the only 100% accurate power rankings in all of NFL podcast kingdom. So here we go. I will run through the top 10 as I always do. Tampa Bay at one, just like they were last week. Kansas City two. They didn't go anywhere. Now you've got the Browns at number three, jumping up four spots after a loss. We're going to talk about that. The New Orleans Saints at number four, who were at 21 last week. We are definitely going to talk about that. The Chargers are at five. The Seahawks are at six. No change there. The Rams are at seven, up one spot. Pittsburgh is at number eight. They jumped up a bunch. They were at 14 last week. The Cardinals at number nine, they jumped up a bunch from 17, and the Bills fill out the top 10. They were fourth, so they took a huge tumble down the rankings. Um, Let's start with the Cleveland Browns at number three. They lost, and you bumped them up four spots. I mean, they were leading for a good portion of the game. They looked really legit. Look, stats, winning at Arrowhead Stadium, beating Patrick Mahomes. And Andy Reid is not an easy task, but uh, for as much which as I don't do, which they didn't do, but I think it was undone by things that don't make me necessarily concerned about the rest of their season. It wasn't like because the quarterback was suddenly terrible, or and I know Baker threw the pick, but I think he had a good game overall still. Or Safansky like had a just a bunch of dumb decisions that totally ruined the game. Like I'm not really concerned about the long term with this team. I think what they showed, I still feel really good about. I think. It's hard to overtake the Chiefs as the number one team in the AFC. It's not an easy thing to do. But I think if we're talking about a team that might be and might realistic, might realistically very well be the number two team in the AFC, I think it's the Browns. I had said on Thursday that this was a chance for the Browns to go in and announce their presence with authority, right? And show the world, announce their presence with authority, right? And show the world, hey, The AFC is ours. Like, we're coming for this now. Last year was not a fluke. And they were doing it for most of this game. Like you said, they came out. They know exactly who they are, BLG. They know they need to pound the ball with Chubb and Hunt, get Baker on the move, get him throwing some play action. Jarvis Landry can make big catches on third down. Like, they know their path to win. And I wonder if their punter doesn't inexplicably drop a snap. And then, for some reason, he could have just punted it anyway. He wasn't really under a ton of pressure, but once he runs outside so the protection, so to speak, he sort of got himself into trouble. If that doesn't happen, the Browns very well win this game. I agree with you. They look good. I'm just surprised they they didn't hold steady. I'm surprised you bumped them all the way up to number three, but that's nothing, nothing compared to what you did at number four. The Saints go from 21 to four Mm-hmm. I know they looked good, BLG, but holy hell, that good? I mean, they shut down the reigning MVP stats. Like, they shut him down. Like, they they made Aaron Rodgers have arguably the worst game of his entire career. Like, that's, that's a big deal. And they were doing it not even at their home stadium. They were in Jacksonville, you know, because of the hurricane. They're displaced. Like, that's really, really impressive. And I think, you know, I'm not fully buying Jameis Winston all of a sudden yet, as we've talked about, turnover machine. Didn't happen in this game, which, you know, good for him. Good for the Saints. The five touchdown thing is a little like five touchdowns sounds amazing. And it's, you know, not an easy thing to do. But I if I'm not mistaken, I believe he has the lowest yardage total to ever throw five touchdowns. So, you know, you kind of have to 
parse through that there. Um, it's a big jump for the Saints, but I think it was a it was the best win of week one, was it not? In terms of just like sheer, like impressive dominance when you factor in quality of opponent and everything. Like I, I like I, I how am I supposed to poke holes in that? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the best win of week one. The Saints defense is really, really good. They don't have a ton of superstars, like household names that people know, but their defense is really, really good. And I mean, we're going to get into the Aaron Rodgers thing a little later because I've I got some LVP points to give out and you can kind of tell where I'm going with that. Oh, but I mean, give credit to the Saints. They had every excuse to, to lay an egg in this one, right? Oh, we got a new quarterback. We were practicing in dallas for two weeks now we're in jacksonville we don't know when we're going to be able to play at home again like every excuse was on the table for new orleans and they came in and just wrecked the green bay packers i don't know that i'm willing to say they're the fourth best team in the league but they absolutely deserve a ton of credit and i'm with you i am not the idea that Jameis winston now is somehow going to set the saints offense free and unlock the saints offense i'm not totally buying that yet at all but it was a great start for him and credit to him for that. I don't want to I don't want to poop all over him after a great day. I just think that, you know, as much as I don't want to say this and you and I both don't want to give him credit, like Sean Payton does deserve some benefit of the doubt. So if you're starting off the season strong like this. I'm going to look at that and be like, OK, I don't love it, admitting it. But like maybe Sean Payton does have this under control. Like he's earned that, obviously, with the way the Saints have been successful. Let's go to the Steelers now at number eight. They were at 14 in your rankings. They get the win over Buffalo. They score 20 straight points at one point after being down in this game. Like, this is the thing that people have to remember with the Steelers. They're never bad. Like, I know they might not look good and it's not always pretty, but Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season there for a reason. And I thought you put it the perfect way in your power rankings. Like, yeah. The Steelers have earned the benefit of the doubt at this point, and they had a tough test week one against a team that everybody said was going to challenge the Chiefs, and they came back in a big way and got it done. And I think Big Ben was actually like PFF's like worst graded quarterback for week <laughs> one, or at least he was down there. And look, that's an issue. Like they're the Steelers are not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Like that's not going to happen, at least with Big Ben playing the way he is. But they are not going to be a team that is a cakewalk for anyone. And I think that was a discussion that was being had heading into this year. Like, oh, this is the year the Steelers finally just totally fall apart. Like, no, it's not going to be because that doesn't (laughs) happen. Like they haven't had a losing season since 2003. And that's not just like an anomaly or a fluke like that. There is a reason for that. They have a model. They have stability. It's a, they have a model of success. Mike Tomlin, again, I, I use the term, uh, earned the benefit of the doubt with Sean Payton. It's a different level, but Mike Tomlin also has some of that. So absolutely. I think I, I actually, so the Steelers were six point underdogs in that game. I loved taking the points in that matchup, getting into Sunday's game. I was like, this is a no brainer to me because they're at least going to make it close. They're not going to get blown out. And also, by the way, while we're talking about the bills here, a little bit stats who I dropped to number 10, uh, as we've said on this show throughout the off season, Josh Allen, the accuracy is going to aggress to what extent. So obviously he was at 56.3 in his first two years. He bumped up to 69.2 last year. Well, guess where he was at after week one, back down to 58.8, a little bit closer to what he was before last season. Now, so not to say the bill season is doomed, but I mean, that's not the kind of trend you want to see to start the season. That's fair, but I want to, you know, I'm still going to reserve judgment. The Steelers defense is incredibly good. So, you know, I think Josh Allen's going to look better against some weaker defenses. But yeah, like that, that's the narrative of this season for the Bills and for Josh Allen. Like, okay, you did it last year and you were great. But in order for us to believe, you've got to do it again and you've got to do it consistently. And I know this was tough, but so far he hasn't done that. Now we'll find out, you know, as the season goes along, if he can, if he can boost that back up. I think that he'll look better next week against the Dolphins, although that's not an easy defense by any stretch. And he has Washington after that. So the the first three games of this season are a real extreme test for Josh Allen. So that's why don't we get into the teams that we cover because they play each other this week. And they're both out. I know really big, right? I think we need to make some kind of wager over this. Mm. Um, We can figure that out maybe before the end of the show here, but uh, you can think on it. But I had the San Francisco 49ers just outside of the top 10. I had them 11 last week, so I kept them at 11 because 
I feel like stats and correct me if I'm wrong. And I feel like you kind of feel this way too, based on just how I can sense as I can read your mind, obviously, since we've been <laughs> working together for a year now, right. uh, if there's ever such a thing as a moral loss, I feel like this 49ers suffer, suffered a moral loss on Sunday. They were up 28 points on the Detroit lions, 38 to 10. And then Jason Verrett gets hurt. The lions get back into a game. They have a chance to win. Or at least no, early sorry, at least tie. tie. Get to overtime, a successful two point conversion if they get it. Um, they didn't, but like they made it close, and everyone thought the Lions were like clearly either the worst team, even worse than Houston, or at the at or like the second to worst team. And I know the 49ers were dominating for a time there, but for them to you know let the Lions back into the game like that, and again with a, a very like legit reason why in terms of Verrett leaving was a big deal. I was looking at the splits of Jared Goff uh, between when Verrett was in stats and when he was out. And when he was in, I think he had like an 80-something point pass rating, and that jumped up to like over 100 once Verrett left the game. Uh, that's a big deal. This was one of the weirdest games ever. Do you realize, BLG, this game was 41-17 to 17 at the two-minute warning? Like, that's unbelievable. And then the, with 15 seconds to go, the Lions are driving with a chance to tie it up. The Verrett injury is devastating for the 49ers. Every team has soft spots, right? You can't have a totally complete team at every level everywhere. The 49ers was in the secondary. They needed Jason Verrett to play a full season, which is a terrible place to be because the guy gets injured mm -hmm. all the time. And the absence now with him, the 49ers secondary is extremely thin, extremely questionable. It's going to be an issue for them all season long. But I just think the 49ers are much, much closer to the team that was up 41 to 17 at the two minute warning than they are to the team that had to struggle to close it out. I mean, George Kittle literally got hit in the face with an onside kick at one point. The 49ers had the, the game wrapped up. Debo Samuel fumbles the ball after getting a first down to ice it. There was a lot of weird crap that came up, but San Francisco still got the win. Let me ask you this. At the two minute warning, when the 49ers are up 41 to 17, you were sitting there thinking, Maybe Stats was right. He's been talking the 49ers <laughs> up all offseason, right? Were you not thinking that? I wasn't watching the game live, Stats. I was watching the Eagles blow out the Falcons in Atlanta. Uh, so, no, I was not thinking that. I just I saw the end results. Uh, oh, I had seen the 49ers were up big. Of course, I had, I had seen that through my monitoring. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I just it's not a great vibe coming off of that game. I know uh, the 49ers, again, I have them just outside the top 10. So I'm not saying they're bad all of a sudden, but I just, I don't know. It's like that kind of, that question mark that after this game kind of makes you wonder, like, have they, are they back at the top? Like, are they ready to make that leap back to the top? Or are they kind of like going to be better than last year, but not quite in the elites of the NFC just yet? The difference between what we saw in 2019 from them and this year is I think this year, especially with the injury to Verrett, the offense is going to have to carry the team as opposed to 2019 where it was about the defense. I think the offense can be one of the best in the league. They did whatever they wanted to do against the Lions. Raheem Mostert, the starting running back, went down after four snaps. It did not matter at all. They just threw Elijah Mitchell in there, and he was running yeah. like crazy. I think that their offense is going to have to carry them, and I think that they can. Uh, and we'll, you know, next week will be a fun game against your Philadelphia Eagles, who look like they could beat anybody in the world against Atlanta. <laughs> The Eagles are unstoppable stats. I've said it here all along. There's no reason to doubt this team. I have never once said anything negative about the Eagles. So there's no way to verify this information, so you're just going to have to trust me. Uh, joking aside, stats, I will say that the day before the season, I mean, I had been saying it leading up to the season after training camp that I think I said it here. What did I keep saying? I said the Eagles have positive vibe stats, and I wrote an article about that Yep. Saturday, the game right before game day. And I'm just like, I said, it's undeniable. It's like undeniable that this team has a positive energy going around them. And I said, I didn't know what that meant because I don't, I think you can have that and you're just not good. And <laughs> like, it doesn't really go far. But if you combine that with having some talent and things clicking and everything, then you got something cooking there. And the Eagles clearly did in week one. And now let me be clear. The Falcons stink they are not good like i'm not trying to take anything away from the eagles i'm really not but the falcons are not good so i want to see you know how this eagles team looks against a better opponent um but there are like 
the legitimate things from that win stats that you can feel good about moving forward against other teams in terms of the offensive line, which wasn't perfect in terms of they had a bunch of penalties um, and there were some issues, uh, but overall held up pretty well. Jalen Hurts only got sacked once, uh, didn't get hit too much. You look at um, the defensive line, which created a ton of pressure on Matt Ryan. Javon Hargrave, I think, is going to have a career year. Uh, and Jalen Hurts, stats, Jalen Hurts had a day, not only in terms of throwing the ball. And now, look, he had like the lowest uh, average depth of target, I think, from week one, the lowest average intended air yard. So he wasn't like, you know, slinging it down the field, but he was getting the ball out quick. He made good decisions. He made some tough throws. Uh, his accuracy took a big jump from where we saw it was last year. So they're encouraging science in that regard. And then just to flip it back to the defense real quick, I know I'm rambling about the Eagles here, so I'm excited about them stats. <laughs> they didn't allow a touchdown. Not only that, they didn't allow a single play over 20 yards. The only team in the NFL in week one to not allow a play of 20 yards or more. That's pretty impressive for Jonathan Gannon being in his first game as a defensive coordinator with the Eagles having some tackling issues, missing starting safety and team captain Rodney McLeod, and then his top backup Marcus Epps going down early in the game. Like that's pretty impressive. The Falcons moved the ball on the Eagles early, but they didn't get into the, the end zone, which matters most. And then later in the game, the Eagles, like I think barely let them into the, uh, Eagles territory like they barely let him cross half field so it was a really legit win by the Eagles yes after the first two drives by Atlanta they did not get past the Eagles 49 yard line the rest <laughs> of the day that is impressive I thought that that Nick Sirianni and company did a good job of putting Jalen Hurts in positions to look good like you said he had some accuracy issues so they threw some shorter passes some screen passes things like that they they did what a coach is supposed to do right you're supposed to play to your guy's strength they absolutely did that and and the Eagles looked good and you know I'm not going to say that all of a sudden now you know they're going to win the NFC East or any of that but this idea that Jalen Hurts is a complete disaster, I think that kind of goes out the window now. I, I They've shown that they can win with him. Yeah, I think I don't. So I was I was on a um, show this morning stats and they asked me, do we know the Eagles are a good team yet? And I don't think we know that 100 percent for sure. I think because I think they could be like an average team or an OK right. team. I think that's entirely still. But I think we know they are not a bad team. Like we we know that they're just not going to be like a, a barring, you know, the whole team getting hurt or something insane. Like they're not going to have this disaster season. The vibes are positive. Everything is good. Um, I'm feeling high on them stats. I feel really good. I think they're going to beat your Niners. I think they're going to beat your 49ers. You play a cynic on the air <laughs> but you love this team you even though when you think they're not going to be good like there's still that part of you that hopes right and that part of you was bursting from the seams on sunday when the eagles were dominating the falcon you can admit it it's fine i will say that i deserve credit for this because i bullied the eagles into taking Devonte smith and they did and everything has been good since then so I think who is really to credit for their success, but me. <laughs> I mean, look, Devonte Smith was good. Jalen Rager six catches for forty nine yards and a yeah. touchdown. I mean, everything was, was going fine. the Eagles' way for once on Sunday, so that's good. Congratulations to you. Enjoy the win. Look, I keep telling people, especially after what happened with the Niners, it's a pass fail business. Yeah, maybe Jalen Hurts wasn't throwing the ball deep down the field. Yeah, the Forty ers almost blew the lead. It's a pass-fail business, man. A win is a win is a win. We'll take it, and we'll move on, and we'll be very happy. All right, BLG, we got a new feature on the show this week. Do we come up with a name for this thing? I don't even know what we're calling it. It's MVPs and LVPs stats. So if you listen to Bleeding Green Nation, uh, during training camp practices this year, after every practice, my co-host, Jimmy Kemsky, and I would hand out an MVP point and an LVP point to a player that deserved one of those things. Now, I kind of wanted to make this up uh, a little different stats, spice it up, where we kind of flip each week. Like, so for to start, for example, you're going to get um, one MVP point and two LVP points, and then I will mm -hmm. get two MVP points and one LVP point. This is a good way to talk about some things we didn't get to in the rankings and kind of sign some uh, points out there. And also at the end of the season or throughout the season, we'll have a table that we can kind of uh, show where all these points are accumulating. And I think it's, this can kind of be a fun thing. Um, so here we go. Uh, do you want me to start 
Or do you want to start or do you have any more questions that I can answer for you? No, I got it. So basically, we're it's sort of a, a short and a long term way to find out maybe the guys that are most responsible for their team's success or most responsible for their team's failure. Essentially, uh, I'll go first. I will give out my LVP points and I'm giving mm. both of them out to the same person, which is, I know, not something that we're supposed to do. But this guy was so hideously bad that I had to give it to Aaron Rodgers. Both points. Congratulations, Aaron. One, he gets an LVP point for just playing poorly. But BLG, did you see the interview he gave with Aaron Andrews of Fox this week? What about it? Here's what he said. Quote, he was talking about how he almost retired. He said, quote, I don't feel like I have anything left to prove on the field. I think it's more about the enjoyment and the happiness and the quality of life that this game has afforded me over the years and being able to 100% commit to everything that my job entails. And there were many times during the offseason where I felt like I wasn't able to fully do that. And until I was, retirement was a possibility. What? So Rogers is telling you that he wasn't doing what he normally does in the offseason. He essentially said he's playing the game for the money, right? He's playing it for the quality of life that this game has afforded me over the years. And I just have one question. When is that guy ever winning a championship? When has the I don't have anything left to prove guy ever won a title in any sport? Tom Brady had six Super Bowls and he goes to Tampa Bay and he's like, I'm going to prove to everybody that it wasn't just about Belichick, that it was about me. And he goes to Tampa and he wins the Super Bowl. If you've got nothing left to prove, get out because you're not winning a championship, Aaron. And for him to have the offseason that he had where he was, you know, trying to get out of town and talking crap about the GM and engineering trades for crappy wide receivers and to come out in week one and score the lowest points in a game that you've started and finished in your entire career and look absolutely miserable. He would have had a higher quarterback rating if he threw the ball in the dirt on every single snap than the actual quarterback rating he had in the game, BLG. For him to do that, is inexcusable. That's why he gets both my LVP points. I am off the Packers. I could see the Packers missing the playoffs, to be honest with you, because when your wow. quarterback and your leader has one foot out the door, you can't win. Who's winning the NFC North then? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky that's... one. How fast do the Bears put Justin Fields in? Uh, I think it's totally fair for you to do this, and it is fair just to to clarify that you can put two on one person. I think, you know, we want to avoid doing that every single week because we want to spread some of the hate as opposed to spread <laughs> the love. But um, but it's fair. Aaron Rodgers, you know, he like through his actions and some of his words kind of talked a big game in terms of like, you know, wanting all this stuff and coming back and the last dance and everything. And this is how you show up week one. Now, I will say uh, this is not the first time Aaron Rodgers has ever had a bad game. And it's entirely possible based on the past that he comes back and he bounces back and when we used the term benefit of the doubt earlier, I think you give some of that to a guy who just won MVP last year and a, a team that has won 13 games in the past their two seasons. So I can't like, so in my power rankings, for example, like I can't drop them into the twenties all of a sudden. I think I have them at what, uh, like middle of the pack. I have them at number 12. Like I can't like just like totally say their, their season's done after one week. Although I did that with the Ravens. Um, so uh, don't they now to be clear here, the Packers do get Detroit next week on Monday night football. So that is a, mm -hmm. that is ripe for a bounce back game in theory. So we'll see how that goes there, but I think it's a fair pick by you. Um, why don't we go with your MVP point before we get to my picks? Uh, I want to give it to Chandler Jones from the Cardinals. And I know that Kyler yeah. Murray had five touchdowns and he looked good. But the Titans' defense is terrible. Tennessee is built to win around their offensive line. Protect Ryan Tannehill, let Derrick Henry run, and that's how they're designed to win games. He wrecked the Titans' offensive game plan. Five sacks for Chandler Jones, two forced fumbles. I think people forgot about him a little bit because he was hurt last year and because generally once he left New England, he was kind of in anonymity playing in Arizona. He is every bit a good, as good a pass rusher as TJ Watt or Aaron Donald or anybody else in the league you want to put up there. He dominated that game. And to me, he was the biggest reason the Cardinals won the game. So I'm giving my MVP to the wrecking ball, Chandler Jones. Good pick by you, Stats. Uh, five sacks in the game. Last time I checked is pretty good. And <laughs> the record it's is weird six. because... Oh, there you go. Okay. 
Um, there were there were uh, talks in the offseason that like the Cardinals were going to trade him or there were trade rumors. His name came up and it is weird how they have not paid him because they went out and they paid all these other old guys. If this is your window, if Kyler's looking good, which he did with his arm, which I think is very important for that team. And Chandler Jones is going out there and dom- I mean, like, pay the guy. Come on. What are we doing? This is your window. What are you waiting for? Like, just do it. So and what is Chandler Jones doing showing up to work, not getting paid? Like at this point, be like, hey, I'm not going to look. You saw you saw what I just did in week one. Well, guess what? I'm not coming back until you pay me. I mean, if only if it were that simple, that's what he should do. But uh, again, very fair pick by you stats. Uh, I'm going to flip over to my two MVP points. I'm going to give one to Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'm going to homer it up. I mean, I think he deserved it. Really good performance. Um, the two minute drill that he had stats was really, really impressive. So before the end of the first half, um, he leads the Eagles on this great drive where, and it wasn't just about great play calling in that instance, Nick Sirianni even admitted that some of the calls in there, like weren't great or didn't necessarily get executed the way he wanted, or there were some breakdowns and Jalen hurts with his mobility made the most out of it. He ran, he scrambled for first downs. He stopped the clock. He got out of bounds. He made a really, really good throw to Dallas Goddard in the end zone that when you look at it live, you couldn't even tell how good of a throw it is because once you saw the all 22 angle, which shout out to uh, Eagles producer, Fran Duffy, who did this, like Dallas Goddard was covered. Like he was not open at all. The way Jalen Hurts threw that ball, he threw it with anticipation and Goddard knew what to do to break back and dive for it. And he caught it like that was really impressive stuff. That is like franchise quarterback kind of stuff right there. So Jalen Hurts gets an MVP point. Uh, do you disagree? I mean, look, there is aspects to being a quarterback, right? Some is, can you throw? Are you accurate? All that stuff. But situational football and managing situations is a massive, massive part of it. And it's something that even the most physically talented quarterbacks don't necessarily excel at. So to to see him go and do that and play that way and throw a guy open, like you talked about, that is extremely encouraging to see, especially from a guy that's as young as he is and as early in his career as he is. So again, you're not saying he's going to win the MVP, but for one week, he gets the MVP point. I'm fine with it. Yeah, to clarify, this isn't just literally about like the NFL MVP award. This is just like a point system that we're doing. Um, so Jalen Hurts gets a point, although if he keeps up this pace, I mean, he's going to end <laughs> all, right, all right, all right, all right. I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying if he did, which is a tough ask, and I don't think is the likely outcome, it could happen. Uh, but why don't we get to someone who could actually win the real MVP award stats? It's your favorite quarterback and my favorite quarterback. It's Russell Wilson, baby. I mean, how can you not love this stat line, I mean, you don't love it as a 49ers fan, but as a general, as a Seahawks fan especially, I mean, he completes 78% of his attempts, 18 to 23, 254 yards, an 11.0 average, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, and not too far off from a perfect passer rating, 152.3. I mean, that touchdown pass he had to Tyler Lockett, which you can honestly just clip me saying that, and like that applies to so many other touchdown passes. Like, I, don't, I swear, stats, there isn't like a quarterback wide receiver combination. I don't know what to say the time frame in. Like, I almost want to say ever that is combined for that many, like, ridiculously crazy, like, <laughs> throws and good catches. Like, that was incredible. The ball, they showed it was like 60 yards in the air. It was a 69 yard touchdown. So it was a nice play for the Seahawks. Uh, it's just Russell Wilson. He's going to win NFL MVP one day, I hope. I mean, I don't know if this is the year, but he's off to a pretty good start. You would hope as someone that roots against the Seahawks, my hope was that like, hey, maybe it'll take them a few weeks to sort of get rolling offensively. They have a new offensive coordinator in Shane Waldron. Like, you know, sometimes it takes time to click for those guys. It's still a new system. Well, forget that. Russell Wilson was incredible. You know, I don't like it when he does it against the 49ers, but those moon balls he throws against everybody else, they're awesome to watch because the ball like drops out of orbit right into Tyler Lockett's hands for the touchdown. And they did it against the Colts, PLG. They shoved the Colts around, and that does not happen to Indy very often. Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner are not used to getting shoved around. Seattle did it. They ran for over five yards of carry. Like you talked about, Russell Wilson was chucking it anywhere he wanted to. He did take three sacks, but, I mean, that was like the only blemish on the day. He looked as good as he can look, and it's distressing to me as a 49ers fan, (laughs) but the MVP points are well-deserved. Congratulations, Russ. He was Mr. Unlimited on Sunday. So I'm going to get – also, I will mention with Russell Wilson, as I said earlier, I just thought he was great. 
in the booth. I loved it. I loved, or not in the booth because he's, you know, zooming in, but I just, I really like that. So an extra bonus uh, there going into that category. Now I could give the LVP point to Mr. Carson Wentz stats. And maybe you think I was going to do that, but (laughs) apparently it's not his fault. I can't do it because it's not his fault that this Colts offensive line that literally everyone said was like one of the best, if not the best in the NFL, uh, didn't play well, apparently, as all these Colts writers are like saying. Uh, It doesn't matter that Carson Wentz held on to the ball the fifth longest time of any week one quarterback. It doesn't matter that PFF graded the Colts offensive line, which everyone said was abysmal only 17th in the league so kind of more average doesn't matter that Carson Wentz was graded 26 out of 30 quarterbacks by PFF doesn't matter that Carson Wentz fumbled for the 60th time in his 70 career game it's not his fault so I can't give him the LVP point uh but you know who I will give the LVP point to stats and I'm gonna throw him in the pit of misery please follow Sir Brad he's going to give you a private tour of the pit of misery I'm sorry what Urban Meyer you're done you're in the pit of misery the, the season is over for the Jaguars. That's, they are the worst team in the NFL. Last week, you took them. I can't believe this. As your survivor pick off air, I talked to you about this. I was like, you can't do that. And I think, you know, everyone made fun of the Coley hire uh, in Houston. But, like, at least he's, like, a real NFL coach. Like, he's been around the game for a long time. He might not be the most inspiring guy, but, like, he's not like a bumbling idiot who doesn't know what he's doing like urban meyer is who has there's just no hope for the jags who possibly thought this is going to work out except for shad khan last year end of the season stats what did i say about the jags i was like they have so much they're bad now but they have hope for the future they have all these draft picks if they just get the gm and coach higher right this team could build something they could go somewhere they're not going to turn it around this season but they could go somewhere instead they hired urban meyer it's a disaster and Again, who could have seen this coming except for literally everyone? Urban Meyer had that look on the sidelines. Like you could see on his face, he was thinking, oh God, what have I done? Like he looked like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world than in that stadium coaching in that game. I never believed in Urban Meyer as a as a pro, uh, pro coach. I don't like Urban Meyer as a person. I think he's a bad person. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'll say it like I'll flat out say it. I don't think Urban Meyer is a good person. If you look at his history and some of the things he's done. And I, I think that Urban Meyer is going to be looking for an exit strategy. Honest to God, he's not used to losing BOG. That's the first season opening game he's ever lost as a coach. Now, I know those were in college, but he's not used to this. Well, he's going to get used to it this year because the Jags are going to lose a ton of games. And I feel so bad for Trevor Lawrence. Because he is in a terrible situation. They don't have a great roster around him. He's got Daryl Bevel as his offensive coordinator. Ask any Seahawks fan about Daryl Bevel. He made Russell Wilson look bad at times. I just think that I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence because he's going to go through this crap cycle that a lot of rookie quarterbacks go through where they come in, they have a crappy coach, the coach gets fired, and then in like year two or year three, he's going to have to start all over again and learn a whole other system. And basically his development is going to just be pushed back again and again and again. So I think I asked you this before, but I can't remember what your answer was. So I'll ask it again. Do you think Urban Meyer makes it through this season? Oh, man. Yeah, I think he'll make it through the season, but I wouldn't be stunned at all if it was his only season. And I don't think he'll get fired. I think he'll leave. He'll find a way out. He'll get another job offer. He'll have some health issues, quote unquote. But I would not be stunned if this was Urban Meyer's only year in the NFL. Maybe he quits tomorrow and takes the USC job that just opened up. Might be, might be a better, you know, option for him. I, I, this isn't. I mean, it sounds crazy. I, I just don't think it's going anywhere. I think there are times in life stats, and again, might sound insane, uh, especially if there are any Jags fans listening. And, I, and I'm sorry that your team is a disaster. It's not your fault. It's very much <laughs> Chad Khan's fault. Uh, and Urban Meyer's fault. But like sometimes in life, you know, things aren't right. I've been there before. I've been there where I'm like, I'm in this situation and I know it's just the start and things in theory could get better. But I think I have a good read on this and it's not going to go well. And you might as well just get out while you're ahead. And now the Jags obviously aren't going to do that. They're not going to fire Urban Meyer after one game. And like you said, I think whenever his dismissal happens, it's probably going to be him leaving. But man, uh, like, Again, I thought the Texans were just a tiny bit better than people were letting on just from or at least in that matchup, just because, again, they have some experienced players. They have some veterans as opposed to, you know, a rookie starting his first game and a head coach making his first NFL start and an overmatch one at that. But like 
I just don't see this getting much better for the Jags. I don't see how this season like turns out to be much of a success for them. They could very well have the number one overall pick or at least like picking top three again. So I think this is the start of a very bad year for them. When you're at a restaurant and you get your food and you take a bite and it doesn't taste good, like you don't have to yeah. finish the whole plate to know that meal is not going to be very good. And you're better off not eating than you are to just swallowing this plate of bad food. Well, that's what the Jacks fans are going to have to do, I think, for at least a year. You're just going to have to get through it and then see where you are a year from now. And I hate to say that after week one of a now 18-week season, but that's sort of where we are. We got to call it like we see it. All right, BLG, that is the first off-day debrief where we've actually had games in 2021. I'm so looking forward to your power rankings every week. Again, the only 100% accurate power rankings in all of NFL podcast dumb so to speak. That's going to wrap it up. Is there anything you want to leave the uh, folks at home with before we go? Yeah, I want to issue a correction from Monday Football Money. They gave the yeet of the week to uh, Terry McLaurin catching a pass. Uh, doesn't even make sense because the yeet of a week to me should be like a throw, really. And it should be that Russell Wilson pass. So give it to Russell Wilson instead. I'm going to steal that word from them and retroactively change it to Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson is the best. And yeah. And oh, for the bet stats that we should make, I feel like uh, maybe we'll come up with something off air. We'll figure it out. We'll announce it. Maybe it's like you have to praise the Eagles when the Eagles beat the 49ers this weekend and it'll be fun. Throw it out to your 50,000 Twitter followers at Brandon Gowton on Twitter. 63,000. Don't oh. sell me short. Oh, sorry. I just have 13.5. So, you know, I'm not in your league. Uh -huh. Why don't you, you use that power to get me some more followers, you jerk? <laughs> throw it out there i'm up for stuff i don't have very much pride i'm not willing not ashamed to admit it so maybe we can do something fun here uh, to wager on that game but enjoy it everybody enjoy the rest of the week again subscribe to the sb nation nfl show if you haven't done so already and we will talk to you in week two after the 49ers beat the eagles